Hello and welcome to this special feature-length edition of the Because of the Times podcast. And joining me today, we have Frankie in the Heartstrings frontman, amazing radio DJ, and the charismatic voice of Sunderland AFC, Frankie Francis. How are you doing, mate? Are you good? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be involved. Tremendous, absolutely tremendous. So if we kind of cast your mind way back when to 2008, um, a Calypso night, I believe it was, in the in the in the white in the uh, was it the white room? Yeah, yeah. Um, what 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 occurred that night was with the the uh, early progression of Frankie and the Heartstrings. Um, I mean, the, what I mean, what occurred that night was uh, we decided to this, to start the band. Me and a couple of friends, Michael uh, and Dave of the of the band, of the, like, the kind of like founding members, if you like. We decided to set up a band called Frank and the Heartstrings that sounded like uh, a little bit like Dexy's Midnight Runners, a little bit like Orange Juice and to have a gig in in the in that bar. And that was the only aspirations for the group. Um, and we didn't know it was going to, you know, well, essentially change our lives and change the course of paths of which we were uh, embarking on at, at that time. And yeah, it was a very, a very exciting time. I mean, it, it I'd never been in a band before, um, but I had been around, like, if you like, the local scene, um, which is a, a word that some people don't like to use. But, yeah, there was a kind of loads of di- different kind of cliques and collectives, and it was quite healthy at the time in Sunderland. You have a lot of venues, a lot of bands, and uh, I would often DJ at the gigs and go and support all the local artists. We'd had bands like... Future Heads and uh, Field Music to a certain extent, Golden Virgins, it all cut through over those years before then and paved a, a path really, which made our route to success easier. Uh, and yeah, it was it was it was something that we didn't expect to happen. We you know really really kind of had really small goals at the beginning and then just found ourselves in a situation where we were doing it full time was incredible really. So where what can you pinpoint that moment when you kind of realised where the band was going and how the traction came along? Because as well at that time, obviously foot being formed in two thousand and eight, that was around the time I think the Future Heads released their second album in two thousand and eight. So obviously they're coming out of Sunderland, you're coming out of Sunderland. Did you almost feel like you maybe had a little bit more pressure coming on here because because of the Future Heads? Now, if anything, uh, the future has made our lives a lot easier. They they really broke the ground, which hadn't been done uh, since probably Golden Virgins before them, and uh, well, similar time and Kinnicky before that in the mid '90s. And of course, you know, Sunderland has a rich heritage of a of a punk punk music scene, which Leatherface has really put um, Sunderland on on the map uh, on a global scale in terms of of music before that as well, and Toy Dolls and all that kind of thing, and Red Alert, and you can go on forever with the punk bands. Um, but no, I mean, it, it, there was a sense of pride to be moving outside the area and doing gigs around and even, you know, doing gigs in the northeast and being from Sunderland. And I really enjoyed, you know, being, being flying the flag for, for Sunderland, if you like. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it was an amazingly exciting time. And uh, certainly the, the bands who had gone before us made our journey a lot easier. But I think we were still... Um, you know, we still had our own sound, you know, and we had our own ideals of what we wanted to achieve. And we just kept on moving those goals further and further from what we started. And yeah, and it kind of it kind of paid off, I guess. 
Yeah, so speaking about some of those goals, so these are just you know a few of the um, noted people that you have, or bands that you have supported. So support the Charlatans, support the Kaiser Chiefs, as well as the future heads that we've already mentioned. So what were those experiences like in particular? And as I know as well, speaking of kind of in terms of future things, you're also um, you're going to be with the Kaiser Chiefs again at Lamplight in is that that in Mowbray Park this summer coming which is going to be a wonderful event. Uh, so what what is it like, kind of, especially mixing with those more prominent bands? Yeah, I mean, support tours of, of a big size or a piece of cake, absolutely easy. You've got a full house already, which you've had nothing really to do with. Um, your, your only job is to get them excited and, uh, and kind of get them white hot for the main act really you can't you're the warm-up act essentially um but we've but we, we very early got a reputation of being a very um engaging band and a band that would get a crowd going so very early on as well we got on some big support tours and i think our first main support was with florence and the machine on and she was just like her releasing her first record and obviously that went massive and we were actually on that with a couple of other great bands the xx as well who were no one knew at the time and obviously they went on to be monumentally massive uh and the temper trap as well who were really nice guys who've got the, you know a couple of great songs as well which have stood the, the test of time so yeah i mean and then 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 kind of your your reputation grows within the industry so off the back of that someone must have said to some promoter like how good we were at getting everyone up for the main act that that then that led to other big support tours like you know you mentioned kaiser chiefs and um kaiser chiefs are, are, are like the huge like and the brick so many age barriers as well and it's rare that you'd see that you know and you know they've been consistently releasing music for probably about 20 years now and you still probably could get a number one album and that's quite rare i think um ricky i learned a lot from 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 ricky as well as as a front man as well um even though probably the first time we played with them i've been going to, we've been going over a year or so but we end up doing loads of shows with them like even like big one-off concerts which they can still do in the hometown of leeds we did one uh, i can't remember what it was called it was called something there's a big abbey in leeds and we ended up opening that for them um, I mean, we became friends with them as well, and whenever we were in London, because that's where most of them live, we would go out for pints with like Simon, the, the bass player. And we were just talk, the, the big Leeds United fans, so we just talked about football and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and then you know we ended up touring with the Lords, played with big supports as well, like uh, the, the Vaccines and the Cribs, and who else? Primal Scream. We, we, we've done all sorts of big supports. And we've always just had a nice time and always had a beer afterwards and that goes a long way because you become pals really and you know i still speak to most of the people out of all those bands i've just mentioned and um yeah it's 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 it's, it's nice to that the people at the top kind of recognize what we were capable of on a, on a live thing anyway and the promoters recognize that as well and we always had a good time and i felt like we really did our job on those big tours yeah so you you mentioned about kind of having a good time in all those tours with um these well well-known bands and whatnot um and it's something i want to mention about kind of incessant touring and then when you come off the tour because we, we saw it recently with um uh, shame's new album out in your in in january and charlie steen taught that he said he wrote that album in a period where he was incessantly touring for a year come off the tour 
and then he was just in this pit of like misery and depression and everything that comes with it. So is, is that something you've ever experienced from a mental health point of view, going on these tours, these big bands, maybe, you know, partying every night, drinking every night and whatnot, and then coming off the tour and being in that kind of state? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, when when it first kicks off, like we did like three or four gigs, and then we had record labels coming up to the northeast to to see us, and like that that's kind of unprecedented, really, in it in itself. And that, and then we ended up like just doing we gigged for like years, like seriously years, just like constantly. We must have done like hundreds of shows, just like every, most nights of anywhere. We were traveling all over the world and and playing. Like you know, we 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 signed deals in in Australia, uh, Japan, North America. So like we, 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 you know, we uh, fulfilled those contracts and we just gigged constantly. And of course, when you, when you finish doing your normal tours, then it's festival season, which is pretty cool festival season because you essentially go out on a Thursday night, come back on a Monday morning and you, you've played to like so many thousands of people. Uh, it's, it's great festival season. And, and, you know, doing the European ones as well, just like traveling around, jumping on the ferry, coming across, it's great. Um, and it is relentless and you know like I, I don't think I've ever spoke about this but like it was so intense for so many years uh, and then the industry was just die you could feel the industry the whole machine was like dying off and dying off but I mean streaming became the main revenue for uh, re uh, record sales um, and yet you could tell because the roster of the label was getting smaller and smaller um they weren't signing as many new bands as, as they did when we were first signed you know when we were first signed we thought it was absolutely amazing but you know if we put that in comparison like talking to our peers and the likes of the kaiser chiefs and other bands around uh, around us even the future heads that when they first signed their first record deals it was worth probably double what we signed ours for and now you're looking at record deals and that yeah and i deal on a daily basis and i've got relationships with people who were just signing bands now and they sign them for like a thousand pounds or two thousand pounds and stuff like that i mean that just, just doesn't sustain a career at all i mean it barely covers you know a month on the road it would it doesn't cover a month on the road at, at all so like we were quite lucky we were one of the last few bands to sign a decent record deal and then off the back of that we got really decent publishing deals which mean meant we could have some kind of time to go into the studios to write music and stuff like that and now it's completely different but we could definitely sense that um there, there was going to be a point where we'd have to find other sources of revenue to sustain our um careers which is kind of how pop wrecks came about in a way um we knew we'd have to do something else to have some money coming in and pop wrecks did that i worked and founded pop wrecks with the rest of the lads um for the first year of its uh, initial shop and then i i was lucky because i made was able to pick up some other kind of work in the in the industry ultimately ending in broadcasting um but there was definitely a point i remember of doing pretty much nothing waiting to go to do my shift in pop rex or probably before pop rex because at least pop rex give us a bit of a purpose but we were like you know living on the dregs of publishing deals or whatever and we still had to be really available to do band stuff but I remember just being like at home and my I bought my first house with my with my now wife in, in Hendon in Sunderland. And I used to just go running along the, the front of uh, the cliffs and stuff like that from like Hendon to see him every day and just come home, 
chill out and then go to practice or go to rehearsals. But I definitely remember like thinking, well, what do I do now? I, I guess it'd be, there's probably comparisons to like when footballers like retire at like quite an early age and then they're kind of like, well, what do I do now? But we weren't retired. We were just like not as busy. But I definitely remember from a mental health point of view, like that things like got pretty... It was pretty intense to, to go from like like adoration from fans in a field of thousands to just like going for a run every morning with like no interaction uh, with anyone and then looking at like my, my bank balance and realizing like I'll probably have to go and get like a, a, a proper job again. Um, and you know, I, and there was periods of time where I've picked up like production work which is like sounds quite glamorous but it could be anything from like um working for production companies where you have to like essentially maintain um like everything like i, I did lots of production work for a, a company where they provide power for festivals and stuff like that mm -hmm. and that's essentially like um cleaning like engines out and putting the lights and the power into main stages and stuff like that and i remember thinking like I was putting the power in on the main stage at like transmit or something a stage like I'd, I'd played before and thinking like it was a bit of a, a bit of a head fuck really and then coming home after that and stuff like that i don't think there's any there's no kind of like uh safety net there either in terms of mental health support um and that was hard to readjust and i, I found that the the, the the sooner i kind of tried to get back into normality if you like what I thought was was going to be the for, for the better, but um, it it was tough to readjust. And I've always been, I think, well grounded, and I don't think I've I, I don't think I've got a, much of an ego. Um, but it's it's hard to readjust to like um, to yeah to, to to getting back into the swing of things, basically, which you know was inevitable, but still pretty tough, especially because we spent a lot of time with the big successful bands who were who were millionaires, some of them, um, and could sustain this lifestyle probably indefinitely. And we, because we were involved in that world so much, and you know, like I was going on like Radio One all the time, and we were doing like programs of like Channel Four, and then just kind of like stopped. Um, it was it was pretty hard to be honest. Um, and I I think I'm still going through some kind of process as well. So that's that's had a knock-on effect ever since that kind of happened even even in the present day with everything that you're kind of doing now as because as you said um i think before we went on air about how busy you are now mm -hmm. um you've got you having multiple things on the go you still feel those effects of kind of not um not how is it not the same feeling as it was when you were on that stage every week um, sometimes every night yeah i think like i've kind of like replaced that with being so busy with other things so like I, f I feel like I've had to like fill my time um so that you know like I do the radio amazing radio from a Monday to Friday and then I've got um the the, the, the I'm very fortunate to have the the work th with Sunderland Football Club as well which is normally two or three times a week as well uh and then exterior work around that as well but I guess you know we're trying to do some more writing and we've got some gigs to prepare for with the band as well so that would have to be squeezed in as well so really i only get like 
a, a half a day off a week or something like that. Maybe like there's something in that as well, like how how intense it was at the start with the band and stuff. I'm maybe trying to make up for it or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I do find uh, my my mental health is better if I'm busy. But then it comes to a point where I, like oh, I'm a breaking point and I just need a few days off and and I, I need a little bit of a reset. But and that kind of helps uh, every now and again. Well, I think it's the same for everyone in all walks of life and you won't be alone in that you know everyone needs those few days to recharge themselves and you know it i think it, it strikes a conversation that you know it is okay to be okay and everyone should you know no matter where they come from no matter what the job is everyone has those feelings and that's you know absolutely okay um so if we do kind of um just take it back a notch about the um about the gigging and stuff what was your favorite city or maybe favorite venue outside of god's country sr1 um to play um is was there a particular can you maybe pinpoint a particular night in a city or a particular venue for any particular reason um it's always exciting to go to london when you're doing the big shows and stuff like that because like it's 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 like so cool really or, or manchester we've done some really good shows in manchester with really cool promoters and good venues as well we even played like salford lads club as well which is like you know going up as a smiths fan i was like wanting to tick off the booked list i mean but we've always had really great crowds in in, in glasgow um glasgow such a a really cool arty town and they've got really good venues and we've done a few shows at the Barrowlands as well which is a really iconic venue up there with a sprung dance floor and I remember like doing a big um support couple of gigs there and the crowd was just like proper like bouncing like really really noisy it was insane so yeah I mean I mean UK cities the ones I've mentioned um European cities we've played some really good shows in 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 Paris and um well in in holland actually we did a couple of tours of holland and they're they're really cool audiences in amsterdam and uh rotterdam and places like that in germany as well i mean we played some we played all over i guess the most attentive crowds were, were in japan but that was totally <laughs> surreal because like they're the really really intensely like cheering all the way through your song and then as soon as the song finishes they're silent there's no talking or anything um which is really really weird and obviously it's different language and stuff like that so i felt like i had to fill it the silence but i couldn't help but like react and see it to the lads around us like this is really odd and then another really weird thing but they're all they're, they're totally being polite and respectful by this is their their, their culture is like as soon as you finish at the end it's kind of like that's it and you know like in a gig in in, in like in the UK, there'd be like beer swilling and like people saying one more tune and stuff like that. You just announce the last song, you play it, and as soon as the last note rings out, they all turn around and file out as quickly as possible. It's, uh, that's it. It's so clinical. It was so weird. But uh, it's funny how how different parts of the world's audiences are different. It's crazy. It's good. Though. Yeah, that, that is that is insane because especially you know as you said about the UK gigs, you'd always have. Depending on where you are, I suppose, but I think nine 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 gigs out of ten I go to, as soon as that last song finishes, you do have the chorus of one more song. Then after that, give it two seconds, the football chants start. Yeah. Somebody's somebody's starting a football chant, and then it kind of transpires from there. Um, so yeah, if we 
tra- if we transcend then from Frankie and the Heartstrings into Amazing Radio, how did that come about? When did it come about? And just tell us a little bit about kind of what you do there. Yeah, so I mean, there's a bit of a bigger picture here. So when that, before we started the band Frankie and the Heartstrings, I was actually running that bar, the White Room in Sunderland. Um, and that was like a kind of thing I did uh, after my degree, finished my degree was in radio production at Sunderland University. Um, and I'd always had passion for radio as a platform and it, it was somewhere I really wanted to work. Uh, and do, before the band started, I did bits um, at BBC Radio Merseyside, like work experience interns and stuff like that. And then when I was at Union College, I, I did um, hospital radio for years. And I've always like DJed and stuff like that. So when I when the band uh, were like kind of at its peak and stuff, like that, I'd often get asked to do radio stuff. Like I I, I did a show on Radio One with Grimmy once. I did uh, I did uh, what else did we do? Um, we did like bits and bobs everywhere. Really, we did loads of bits and bobs. But then Amazing Radio would ask me um, if I would do a cover show uh, every time their main their main presenter was off, and I would always be up for it and um when he left it was just good timing because at the time i was working at sunderland football club actually i managed to get some hours there working on the the concerts i was in the concert team there helping to plan and um, book the concerts and get the production ready for the for the concerts at the stadium and uh, and the the presenter left and they, they came to me and said would you be up for the gig full time and i was like definitely 100 percent. i'd love to work in radio and yeah that's how i ended up there so i'm on there every every single weekday three till seven pm and and the station there's a bit of a misconception about the station i think people think within the area that it's like a northeast music station but it's it's totally not it's an international new music station you could probably compare it most easily to six music except we only have only play new music new on new or emerging artists that's the kind of usp of the station so every day even like Today, for example, I'm playing like 10 tracks which have never been played on the radio, as far as I know, anywhere in the world. And bands and artists upload their music to us and we just kind of put it on a playlist. Um, and it's quite immediate how how our, uh, for our, our little cog in the music industry works. And it's really immediate. Like there's loads of artists that we've playlisted and spot played have then, because we're seen as tastemakers within the industry, playlisters listen to us and music we picked up from nowhere will be play all of a sudden be on like the um the background and made in chelsea or, or towie or something like that which is kind of like real accesses to um music on tv these days so it, it's it's a really important cog in, in the in the kind of emerging music business um and i'm really proud to be on there i think um it's it's grown quite a lot at the moment as well they've got a us station uh, which is the, the building at the moment and they've also taken control of CMJ Festival, which is a big uh, kind of institution over in, in New York as well. So, yeah, it's great to be involved in it. And it's good because my band were featured on, on Amazing Radio. And we played, you know, not first, but like, you know, played on there very, very early on and then supported all the way through. And it's good that I, I feel privileged that I can do that now with artists, find an artist I love and just back them, back them and back them, get them in for a session, get them in for an interview. And then eventually, you know, if they're good enough, the nationals will take over and then you know they'll be signed and stuff like that so it's yeah it's, it's really it's really a nice privileged position to be in 
Yeah, so it's amazing afternoons every weekday, three to seven. Um, I did listen to a couple last week, and I think it was the one on Friday. Um, I know you um, you played uh, Vanderbilt, and there was someone else you played as well. And I was just uh, and though so obviously Vanderbilt are from they're from Sunderland, aren't they? Yeah, I thought they were. And then there was someone else from the local area. And so I was going to say, when you're doing that show, um, do you kind of look to prioritise? anyone from the local area uh, for your show specifically like obviously not every song but every now and again putting one in there yeah absolutely i mean that's just a little bit of kind of uh, artistic kind of freedom i have to put on whatever i want and i'd always support new and emerging talent from the northeast not just sunderland um and i'll always in, in every single show i kind of had like this kind of rule or law that i give myself that i'd always play at least one or two in every single show um because i do think it's actually a strong region for, for new and emerging music but because i'm on there i think i have some kind of like civic duty to um to, to play it and help as much as i can yeah so as, in terms of other things of how you choose who to promote and when because you said you've got the uploader and i think that i think i did hear you say i'm one of is it 600 tracks that you've got in there at the minute or something in the in the uploader well, there'll be uh, there'll be uploads all the time. I mean, no. in in the in the space of time I've been doing this interview with you, there'll be like ten. Well, I don't know how long we've been doing this for a few half an hour or something like that. There'll be another ten or fifteen tracks, you know, uploaded, and it's just trying to keep on top of them and going through them all with a fine tooth comb. So every single day, my show reflects the previous twenty four hours of uploads. Or if I've been off for a weekend, it'll be like catching up over the next couple of days. But yeah, I mean, take today for example do my listening first thing on the morning, going through all the uploads, find out information about the bands, make sure I know where they're from, what they're all about, have their links to social media handy so I can throw some shade on, on that as well. And just be like, yeah, this is like, it, it's kind of like my, my, my role. And um, I, I, it's exciting trying to find new uh, emerging music. You know, it's, it's, it's a real like, it's kind of like metal detector, I guess, that, you know, you across gold every now and again. Um, yeah, I love it, and loads of different genres and sounds and, and backgrounds all these artists come from. It, 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 it's not just like a guitar, you know, we got loads. I mean, most of the uploads we get now is hip-hop, especially from the UK. There's just so much coming through right now. Even in the Northeast, there's like such strong scenes. And down where, down where you are, you know, like Hartlepool, uh, Stockton, Darlington, and there's some kind of mad hip-hop, UK hip-hop scene there as well, and it's great and these these are people that probably will will go the distance as well i think because the production is is that good yeah um so as well with the with the promotion and whatnot is um i, I just wanted to touch on because there's been a lot of and with with good reason as well criticism of different festival lineups for a lack of female representation and specifically within kind of female headliners so it, is there anything kind of in place, for example, at your station that says you have to promote X amount of uh, female artists or bands a week because, mm. you know, that I think there is that distinct lack of representation in in some areas? No, there's nothing in place, but I think we're quite well-minded individuals and we're quite um, aware of... Um, uh, we're quite conscious socially conscious as well as all all the people who who work there uh and you know, we, you know like my my boss for example his like his wife's like some kind of like 
feminist professor from Durham University as well. So it's it, it's part of the, the the daily dialogue in in the in the office, if you like. Even though we're kind of in a virtual office at the moment, and some of us are in and out, um, of being aware of like um, social economic economical challenges with from and understanding people's path to success as well you know which is why it's really important to be such a uh, such a fair kind of um uh, like platform for anyone to be to be able to get access to it you know and and um to be represented on there but there's i think like if you're like if you're honest and if you have um like a legitimate kind of organic love of all music and all genres that really just comes through anyway you know what I mean I've never stopped and I have like questions myself if like I go through my, my running orders I'm just been looking through some now and if, I, if I've ever got like a day where the 10 artists I'm playing all the new 10 artists are men for example or white men I'd be like oh that doesn't look very cool or anything you know what I mean like that's not like I'd have to like check that out, but like it's very rare that would that would happen. You know, we we have so much good music. To be honest, most of the music, if we get say we got ten uploads, right, and five of them are men, five of them were women. I guarantee you that the best three tracks would become would come from women. Like the 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 music quality um, is generally much better from from women because there might be more. From 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 like um, men, uh, white men with guitars, but certainly the quality is so much better from women. So it's almost like a bit of a cheat. Like you can see if if you if you because you see the name and the profile picture, and you, you can you can almost instantly tell it's going to be radio player worthy before you've even hit play because you can just see all the the, the bands where they call the something the something the something, and then you come across like a solo female artist who's made made some tracks in her bedroom generally is much better um so like that kind of makes your life a lot easier to be honest um the women are smashing it and um we're, we're proud to support that i think i'm inclined to agree with you there especially with more new releases at least anyway at least the stuff that i've been listening to the kind of more up-and-coming artists and bands a lot of them are are female and a lot and a lot better than kind of the next indie four piece you know, out of, you know, Glasgow or whatever with I mean, a guitar. Nothing wrong with that. Just, oh, of course not, no. When you've been around like that forever, it takes a lot more to get excited about than than what you can find normally, which is just comes natural to usually, to my ears, young women uh, from either North America or the UK, you know, like, Phoebe Bridges is probably the biggest rock star in the world at the moment, you know, and rightfully so. She's absolutely class, and everyone wants to work with her. Um, and that, 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 we can, you know, we can't get enough of her. It's amazing radio all the time. But there's been loads of like great success stories over here in the UK. Marika Hackman, you know, she's kind of like everything she releases is brilliant. Laura Marlin, like she's kind of like she's almost like she has this like status now. Laura Marlin has been like this. She's so good. She's kind of like just above everyone else, isn't she? Like she's just like a kind of modern day folk icon, isn't she? And there's so much. I mean, Saint Vincent, you know, a real author doing her own thing and working with the people she wants. There's loads. I mean, this week I've got uh, my single of the week. This week is a duo called Ida, who make really good pop. And this is there's a bit of a debate at the moment. There's this really kind of cool sub level of pop 
which is so good and so cool. We've got uh, Rina Sawayama, who's just done a single with Elton John, right? <laughs> it's that bad. Um, and like she's at the top of a game. Ida, this band I'm playing at the moment, they're at the top of the game. Uh, there's a band called Eka as well, who are a really good pop duo. But not pop's pop's got a dirty name. I, um, I think within certain circles. But this is so much good pop, and especially female pop from the UK, written and produced in their bedrooms. It's like total next level. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean the biggest pop star in the world probably Billie Eilish as well and she's a female making in pop music so I'm really excited about like um usually the most th the thing I get most excited about is new up-and-coming female artists so I think that links quite nicely into my next question which is what's been your favorite album or EP released so far this year oh tough question Do you know I thought you might have asked that but I should have I was gonna check it out um uh one of the the record I've, I've waited for a long time which finally came out early this year was the black country new road record i thought it was really really good um i'd love to see them live obviously i haven't been able to do so over the last year or so, but i think i try I, I try to listen to that a couple of times i've had it i've i want to like it but i whenever i have listened to it it's just it, it's not for me I, for for whatever reason i uh, usually with me sometimes I've when I first listen to something a couple of times I've got to leave it for a while and then go back to it I don't know why but it, yeah um no but yeah load of people I know love them yeah I mean there's, there's a couple of tracks in particular just stand out and it just makes you want to delve further and go out and, and, and buy the record what else have I been loving um I'll just go through some of my notes um I mean, this week, our record of the week is our Floating Points and Pharaoh Saunders uh, record with the L London Symphony Orchestra, which is total jazz, but it's like, it's a total, like, uh, it's, it, you'd have to, like, it's, it's something you really got to engage with, but if you do, you'll get so much pleasure out of it. It's like 40 odd minutes of bliss, really, and it just kind of builds into this crescendo of, 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 of happiness, really, which is really, really good, and that's what music is, it can be used for, like, tools you know for your, for your mental health of, of anything um what else have we had what else have we had i can't think off the top of my head no really <laughs> but i you know if you give me like 10 minutes i would be able to come up with a really long list of stuff but um yeah i mean like there's 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 always great the thing that there's a bit of a misconception like especially like it's easy to become jaded about music and be like oh there's nothing good new out i mean i could i make my friends a playlist most weeks of like my my favorite songs of that week i've discovered uh, and there's so much so much great new music out there to be excited about um yeah like i know i don't know i i mean i'll i'll, I'll make you a playlist of uh, stuff i'm excited about this year uh, absolutely fantastic i'd love that yeah happy days um so last thing on amazing radio then so the the covid restrictions and whatnot i know you said you've been in and out of the of the premises um what's that been like on the whole like throughout throughout the you know maybe the first lockdown especially um like how have you found dealing with it and getting around the obstacles that covid has you know ultimately put in place for everyone um it was tough i mean the first lockdown was a lot more severe so i had to work from home and like luckily i've got like quite a lot of equipment anyway because of the band and stuff or like being able to quickly convert that into like essentially a radio studio um which i 
which I've done and I've done loads of shows of the first lockdown. But then when, when I was allowed back in legally, um, I just kind of went in more stairs and just did it from the studio. It's so much easier. Um, it is hard because we haven't been able to have sessions in. And that was a big part of my show was having sessions and guests on in the show. But we've, we've adapted, though, and we've had people um, send in their own sessions. So basically, I asked them to record themselves and then I put that out as my session. And then we can still do a, a chat over Teams or Skype or, or Zoom and then stitch it around it kind of thing. And that kind of goes out as a, a little package. It's not as exciting because we don't get to do it live and they're not there with a the guitar in front of me. But you just have to adapt. And to be honest, we've probably had a lot of sessions we wouldn't have had because of that, because there is a lot of artists who haven't been able to go out on the road. Normally, we'd catch them coming through the city or we go to their gig and catch them or catch them at a festival backstage and then record them. But in this way, there's been a lot of artists sitting on their hands and this they've came to us and said, you've been playing my single, how would you feel like if I did a session version for you? And it's actually resulted in us having more <laughs> sessions. Um, so yeah, that was the main thing for me, from my point of view, but to be honest, like, I haven't, I've came out of this with more work, the, the, this, this pandemic. So, I'm sure we're going to speak about it, but I ended up like taking on lots more work as well as the amazing radio stuff because of the pandemic. Um, so I've been very, very lucky. I know people who've lost their jobs. Obviously, I worked in the music industry for so long, like tour managers, Lampies, sound guys, van companies, all lost their jobs and had to go and get jobs at Asda and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with getting a job at Asda, but that just shows like, you know, it's not what it's obviously not what they want to do. It's not what they've done for 20 years. Um, and yeah, I would consider myself extremely lucky. Absolutely. So yeah, if we then move on to, which, you know, in a, in a very biased sense is going to be my favourite part of the podcast. I couldn't have you on and not talk about Sunderland AFC and everything that comes with it. Um, so kind of first off, um, what was your what was your first Sunderland match? Um, it was against Wolverhampton Wanderers in about 1993. We uh, we were getting beat one nil, and the person who took me was like, it was like me um, auntie's boyfriend or something like that, because my mum and dad aren't really into football, and I was only really really small, like six 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 year old or something. And we went out the ground, and I heard like a cheer, and I was like, oh, we've missed a goal, um, but it was a second goal for for Wolves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Typical Sunderland fashion then, and that set yeah. the tone for the next. Poker Park, night ninety-three, Wolves, Fulwell End, and yeah, I mean, just always love football, and 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 especially of course Sunderland, the hometown club. Yeah, so I don't think I actually clocked that you were the stadium announcer until maybe the documentary. Like it just didn't click in my head. So how long, how long did you actually have that role, and how did you fall into the role? So I started doing work for Sunderland Football Club in between being at home on tour because the concert team needed to grow at the, the Stadium of Light. And um, I was asked to come on board to help with the planning and programming and and production work around the concert. So I was kind of like, I came on board as like a casual, uh, like it was a casual hours, like I was doing casual hours um, for, for Sunderland Football Club around the concerts. And obviously they were well aware of my uh, standing and background within the music industry and and obviously they knew I was like a singer so there came a point where 
it was strange really because they needed someone to try and do some half-time entertainment um during i think it was during the championship season was my first season doing it and the the person who was announcing steven at the time he he, he had it like he couldn't really leave his booth so they needed someone else so they said oh how would you fancy at half-time going on the pitch and like doing some bits and bobs so it, it started initially just doing like the lottery and then doing some kind of crossbar challenge or something like that and then um and then the club got um relegated again so like like so this is the first uh, season in league one and charlie methrin stewart and all them uh stewart donald and all them came in and charlie was pretty hands-on and he liked what i did at half time and it's no secret that they made lots of cuts like they cut like Every, like in most departments they they cut back and luckily um for me it ended up that i was then moved to be the, the main announcer um which was something i was really petrified about to be honest like um even though like i'd used a microphone for years and spoke on mics and spoke in front of people and sang in front of people for years it's still quite a it's such a different thing the football world and the music world, even though they're quite intrinsically linked through culture, very much different audiences, and there's really no room for error with football. Um, and as I found out, you know, there's like there's a lot there's a lot more opinions in football than there is in music, you know um but yeah um so then it was actually charlie methvin who asked me to step up to do it um which i was very uh, honored to be asked because you know part of the match day experience is is hearing that someone read out the team news i remember like uh i think it was john foster who did it very early on in the stadium light days and very successfully i remember him reading out the teams and i remember watching them do it as well and thinking, god what a gig that must be, kind of thing. So yeah, it was a total privilege how I ended up doing that. Oh, and before I just rewind a bit, I'd started doing the playlists before then, probably in the last year, the Premier League maybe. I started being involved with the playlists just because I was a local musician and I wanted to try and play other local musicians as well as playing some what I would regard uh, fan engaging and contemporary music as well to try and make us look a bit cool as well um before and during the match so yeah it was kind of like a real gradual thing but it was charlie methvin who um put me in the post yeah so uh talking on uh charlie um charlie methvin on the on the on the netflix documentary which you do star in um there's the infamous moment where he's trying to sort out the pre-match music and you know putting on is it it's a dad for strings and by tiesto yeah and and then there's the there's a moment where he goes onto the pitch and then he's raising his hands up and you're sat in the booth upstairs having to turn the music up. And that that's something that sticks in my head anyway, it's been been an iconic moment from the past few years. in in a year in for not for necessarily the the positive footballing reasons though. Um so what was what was Charlie like to work with as a person? Because he just he came across quite eccentric and quite i'd say unique in his approach um with uh, some members of staff on the documentary i mean the, the documentary was kind of like spun to, 
to put his character around Charlie, uh, well, hype it up a little bit around him anyway. I mean, that scene you mentioned in question was actually filmed at the end of the season rather than the beginning. Uh. So it was kind of like, uh, um, but it, those events actually happened. It just so happened that the camera crew weren't there for it. So they asked us, what did you do when you decided on the music? Well, there was, an, there was a moment where myself, Chris Waters, and a couple of the members of staff were in the, the DJ booth uh, in the ground, and Charlie would walk around and just to see how loud the the, the, the PA go with this music going on. So there was a bit of like, you know, a bit of towie about the, the program that it's a kind of exaggerated reality kind of thing. Um, but how, Charlie to to work with um, to, with my re working relationship was was fine. It was it was great. It was. He was um, whenever I was there, he was he was present because my kind of role kind of needed his like not approval, but like he would be around the stuff I would do at the club. So when I when I was in, he was often there, um, which is which is probably like uh, I don't know if people outside of the, the club thought, but like he was a lot more hands on than many of the other members of, of the board at, at that time. And, you know, we'd often just talk about music and football, <laughs> like, and that's like what, you know, what, that's what I, I talk about to my, my, my pals, you know what I mean? Um, but it was definitely like, um, he, he definitely had a, a like, a, he obviously had a, a business vision and a, a kind of fan engagement vision as well for the club. Um You know, he, he'd been well-travelled and seen how European football was, received pre pre-match during the match and after the match and he, he would often talk about uh Borussia Dortmund in a kind of football business model and as a fan model as well he loved the the fact that they were drinking on the terraces and he, uh, you know I'd imagine that was something that Charlie would endorse bringing back terracing and and and, and uh, you know he'd probably share the opinion that you know why can you have a pint at the rugby but you can't have a pint watching the game of football you know um so I think he had lots of good intentions and he was certainly up for for, for trying stuff as well obviously he wanted a, his choice of music um on there but i guess That's what i was going to say actually yeah. um is um with the playlist and stuff did he have a hand in or did he almost try and puppeteer how the way the playlist went playlists went on the match day or was that still yeah. your executive kind of decision no, I no, I was only able to kind of program the music with the help of the fans as well, which I also, oh, I always used to try and help um, get the Sunland Socials team to get the fans to select a song or whatever like that. Um, and then, you know, you'd, you'd have fan requests quite quite regularly. It would be the same one. So I'd always involve them. And I think it's very important to do so going forward. But they, what we call the peak run-up, so like that bit, like that 10 minutes just before they come out, that was, um, that was the kind of like non-negotiable choices from Charlie and Stuart and there was this one occasion I don't know if anyone remembers but um there was one occasion when like Charlie picked the music picked the music picked the music for the peak run-up and I just kind of had to mix them all together and play it as a kind of one track and then we play it in Vader's Must Die just as they ran out onto the pitch um but there was one occasion during I think it was the first season where I got a phone call on the Friday night and Stuart had to just 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 decided to change it all and because it like he was the ultimately the big boss. Charlie was just like, "You've got to do it. Can you do it?" And it, it was really weird. It was like, 
it was, it was, it was this song called Work Hard, Play Hard was the, the kind of core of it. And, and I remember it. I remember yeah. it. I remember being very confused. Yeah, and I just had to stick it together the night before in, in this kind of like 10 minute little edit. Uh, but, they, you know, other than that, it's all choices between fans and players uh, and um yeah, and myself, but it, those, those, it's so hard to tinker with the music. I mean, people are really precious about it. I think, you know, there's a couple of things that you can't go without, and that's Prokofiev. You need that in there. Um, and Elvis, um, Can't Help Fall in Love With You. I think you've got to involve those two tracks on a match day. And then it's kind of everything else is up for grabs, to be honest. But people don't like change. I don't particularly like change, you know what I mean? I think Prokofiev still does a really good job. Of getting people, it's it's so synonymous with the stadium. It's the it's the it's what I call what I call the tunnel music. So you know, it's the finish your pints, get into your seats moment, and then yeah. a blast of Elvis just before kickoff, which I'm sure we'll do once the fans are back in, which we we try to do a few times this season, but sometimes because there's no fans in, the referee might blow the whistle and halfway through it's starting and stuff like that. So it only really works with fans in. Um, but yeah, I mean. So the, the, those 15 minutes before kickoff is generally locked in stone. This season, though, I've kind of like took it upon myself just to play every single walkout song we've ever played in a in a mix, which is why you hear Zed Cars, uh, U2 Elevation, a bit of Kanye West, which we came out to at some point in our history there at the Stadium. Bring line. bring that back. Yeah, and <laughs> and, and it, it kind of builds into Prokofiev as it should just before kickoff, and then the runout track is still. Um, prodigies and Vader's must die because it is like if you like it or not um one of charlie's choices but it is part of our history now you know yeah absolutely and w one thing i was going to mention as well on the on the songs is there any look about getting the beginning of the twist back by the future heads uh that that's actually in the sorry i should have mentioned that's in the the, the current so no one oh is it yeah yeah so no one hears this like 10 minute mix of everything we've ever had as a walkout track it's being played inside the ground right now, uh, 10 minutes before kickoff, and that's in there as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it kind of ticks all the boxes because it's everyone's favourite track and it ends with Prokofiev. And then ultimately it would have Elvis when the crowd sing just before kickoff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so doing the playlist and the announcement and then you've now moved into, as we all know, the match day commentary with uh, Danny Collins. And um, so how did that, how did you end up in that role? Obviously, it, I assume it went hand in hand with the streaming and stuff over the lockdown. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really uh, quickly realised that the club needed to be more serious about the, the stream of the games for the supporters. Um, so a couple of games into the season, we were kind of thrown into it, really. I'd previously done radio commentary for Hospital Radio, but I hadn't done it for like over 10 years, probably. Um, and I've obviously never done TV commentary. I mean, you can't even prepare for that because, I mean, who prepares? How can you prepare for TV commentary before COVID? What What's the opportunity? Sky, match of the day, you know, you don't get, you, you just can't learn to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just asked upon me. I was, um, would you be up for jumping in it and, and doing it because you're there anyway kind of thing? So I was like, yeah, I'm up for the up for the challenge, and I, you know, I was really kind of, I was really, I, I, I'd say, you know, people will still say I'm really, really bad now, but I was still, I was, because of my experience of commentary in the past, I was kind of doing the radio commentary, 
over television pictures the first few games and i was spending far too long doing my notes so like for a game um which will be this week against hull um i'll do like maybe three pages of prep whereas in the first few games i was doing like six seven pages of prep and it was taking like days to do and i really i realized quite early on because of the, how fast and how many fixtures we had that my prep time had to come down my, my prep didn't have to be as um historic or anything like that and i just really needed to to nail kind of like pronunciations and stuff like that and um small amounts of of like seasonal history and stuff like that um but yeah i mean it was just something we got asked to do and to be honest the program even now is still evolving before we came on board it was one camera didn't even have a score i don't think didn't show replays and then very early on we were able to try and push for stuff like pushing for uh, little tiny things like the score replays on request we always wanted a multi-cam at the stadium of light but um until we changed ownership i don't think that was a realistic prospect um so one of the first things um, KLD did was just kind of green like that. And Steve Davison, uh, who's at the club as well, was kind of like, it's a no brainer, let's do it. And it, it, it kind of like, it kind of paid for itself within a couple of games, which is so infuriating because I think the fans would have had such a, a better experience from early on in the season if we just did it. Um, and, you know, it would have ultimately led to more revenue for the club, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's evolving all the time. So we've got the pre-game program now. We've got like half-time reaction and post-game program. Um, and we're still operating in COVID protocols as well. So me and Danny have to be a certain amount away from each other. We've got our masks on right until the last point. You know, we're sound checking with our masks on and stuff like that. The only time we're allowed to take them off is during the commentary and during the live show. We're not allowed to have any other extra guests. Well, that's changing a bit now. We're hopefully going to have some more pundits and some more interviews on there as time goes on but we've been doing like zoom interviews with the players before the game which i think is really cool to give fans like more value for money and a little bit more of a kind of we want to bring the fans in as much as can i'm a fan you know i want to be involved as much as i can as a fan so we we're kind of looking at through through the fan eyes how we how how can we make it as, as engaging as possible which is why we have the hashtag ask danny which is kind of taken on fans opinion from the it's kind of like a, a call in you know whatever you like post-game program where fans can react and we'll bring up those points and luckily danny's quite a good talker and you know, obviously like he's played for some massive clubs and he played for Sunderland for years and excellent international having just retired from the game he's got really good perspective and opinions on stuff so quite lucky in that respect but it's it's evolving and i think it's going to be a part of football going forward and um, because of not just COVID restriction. I just think it's going to be a way that people can consume the match. Um, you know, away games in particular, we sell out away games, you know, most games, don't we? So I think fans will want to watch their own club's coverage of the away games and stuff like that. And even if we are limited because of COVID, there's still going to be an audience there. And of course, international fans as well. From all over the world, there's so many international fans for Sunderland, which is it's it, it's crazy, really, considering where we are in the football pyramid that we we have so many fans worldwide. You know, we're such a big club at, at League One level, kind of blows your mind that people are dialing in from literally every 
every continent to watch Sunderland on a regular basis. So there's a real audience there as well, moving forward, I think. Yeah, um, and in terms of the commentary as well, because you, you are actually in the stadium for the home games, but you can't get to the, you, you know, COVID protocols mean you can't travel and go. Yeah. And, you know, the old the old adage of we're relying on the EFL cameraman today. Yeah. So how, how does, uh, how is it commentating on the game, having a, you know, watching it essentially as everyone else is, it puts that extra challenge in place, doesn't it, oh, for the commentary and stuff? It's absolutely horrific. Like, just commentating, like, essentially just watching a, a monitor. Um, and sometimes we can't hear anything from the ground. I know some of our fans recently had that as well because the cameraman hadn't plugged in the atmospheric mic. Yeah, that, was, that, that was the Wigan game, yeah. Yeah. So, like, so loads of things are out of our control. The only thing we can control is home games where we're given all the different camera angles, all the different replays, got the sound, got mics around the ground as well. So we want to make our production as really good as we can be because we've got Premier League standards, you know what I mean? And then, of course, when we play at other League One grounds, sometimes the camera's not even on halfway, sometimes it's not even in focus, sometimes he doesn't even catch the substitutions. I mean, come on. I heard Nick Barnes talking on, I think it was Vote Report or something recently, saying this has been the hardest season. Like He was kind of saying like this season's been so hard to commentate on because... Normally, you would have the, the fans' rapport in the background and the, the, the motion, the drama of the game being carried out in the atmospheric mics of the crowd. And I'm, this is my first season commentating, <laughs> you know? So, like, I'm thinking, like, if I can get through this season with some fan noise, it'll be so much easier, you know, just because you've got that extra bit of extra layer of um, atmosphere coming through. And it's just so dry right now. It, it's so, it is pretty hard. Um so yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough. It's it's really tough. Like it's really tough. And I know, like, if I if I say something factually incorrect, I'll be pulled pulled up on it. You know, immediately by hundreds of fans on on Twitter. You know, like when I was just doing music full time, the worst place on the internet was YouTube um, comments. That was uh -huh. the, the worst place on the internet for like for abuse, basically. But now, like. If you like, which it doesn't happen very often, but if you make a like a, a factual um, error, or you say something which someone doesn't like, or to be honest, most of the time it's when some Sunderland have a bad result. Um, me and Danny's took a lot of flack, like as being like the front, and we knew that very early on that that could have been the case. I remember we're quite lucky to have like peers in very very high places within the media, and some people sat us down and said, "You you might enjoy it, but." if we get a bad result, you'll be target number one, basically. And that's happened like loads of times this season. I've learned, I've had to really learn to deal with that because um, it can be quite detrimental, not just to your mental health, but uh, to to your, your physical health as well, to be honest. It, it, it's it's really tough, um, especially when you're a fan as well and you only just want the, the best result for the club. Um, so that was a side I wasn't, you know, really anticipating, but nevertheless, as ever, as I've said early on in the program, it's an amazingly privileged position to be in. Yeah, yeah, I'm commentating back at the Stadium of Life for away games, watching a telly in a, in a TV studio, but that it, it just gets outweighed so much by being able to see the home games and try and bring in the fans as much as I can to what's happening in the ground, which is kind of the role of the commentator, I guess. I think I do speak for the majority of fans. Anyways, when I say I think you've done a fantastic job 
this season, to be honest. Um, like, uh, obviously, in the beginning, as you said, it's your first season commentating. You know, the, the, you you can t- you can't. If I think if you you probably watched the highlights back yourself. I don't know if the you, the club put your commentary over the highlights, but um, you look back to way back when at the beginning of the season compared to now, it's it's night and day. But that's always that was always going to happen, wasn't it? So I I do think I speak for the majority of fans when I say you know. Uh, we all we all love you, and you know you've got your catchphrases and that which uh, circulate every week. You know UK asbestos specialists, Sunderland hey, picked away and play. If if anyone sponsors and, and any new sponsors want a catchphrase, then you've come to the right place. Because <laughs> I will that I will fill all my contractual obligations <laughs> on him, which is true though. You know I've got to say it every single time that you're going to do like IDs and stuff like that. So you've got I've got to, I can't say SFC live. Without saying UK asbestos specialists, I can't be frustrated on air by saying this cameraman is totally shite. But I <laughs> we are relying on the cameraman down at such and such. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, if that means uh, I've got catchphrases, then f- fair enough. But yeah, I'm kind of happy with how it's turning out. To be honest, yeah, I think I do think a lot of the, especially on with the with the hashtag Ask Danny as well. When you when you say we'll have a bad result. Um, I know a lot of the stuff I see is um, a lot of it's just jokey. Do you know what I mean? It's like how many pints do I have to have now for you know I'll, after that result? Those ones because I think it makes us more like you know like uh, more normal as as people and don't put us on like a pedestal. I, I said the production team. I was like, can you throw some like daft ones in because you know yeah. we have to get beat. It's not like digging out players and stuff like that. It makes it a lot easier if someone asks Danny, would you rather fight 100 horse-sized chickens or size <laughs> of horses or something like that? You know what I mean? That it's just just make it a bit light-hearted because, you know, we're all Sunderland fans. We've all just watched probably, if, if it's been a, a poor game, we just want some light, light relief, you know what I mean? And you've got to be able to take the piss out yourselves as well and don't take it too seriously or, like, you know, we'd be miserable all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think you... you... You specifically, um, it was the cup final day, wasn't it? Where um, there was a fella on Twitter who said he created his own drinking game, essentially saying whenever you said one of the catchphrases, down your drink or something along those lines. And then I saw you reply to him and said, you might want to pull the fridge next to the TV. <laughs> this is going to get messy. So, yeah, I think that's that, that was uh, like a wonderful bit of interaction. I think we'd all love to see that as well, throwing in a few jokey ones, like after, as you say, after a bad result. Obviously, that won't happen uh, this evening after we beat Hull 2-0. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so kind of moving on from that, you, the um, do you have a good rapport with the players kind of outside official club duties? Like, is there any of them that you do talk to outside of uh, outside of the kind of official club stuff? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, I know. I mean, when we first started doing it, and obviously we do the podcasts as well, which we're kind of slowly moving through the side. But again, that's a massive COVID restrictions. We would have so many more podcasts done. But even in, in, in the beginning, we, you know, we weren't allowed anywhere near the players. They weren't allowed anywhere near us. You know, every time we go in the stadium, by the way, there's so many checks you've got to do, like your temperature, you have to sign in and stuff like that. You're only allowed in certain areas. There's this yellow zone, the red zone. And fans will see this when they come back to ground. It's 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 not the same. You know, you've got to constantly hand sanitise everywhere you go if you move from your working station. Um, so it's quite hard because it's quite important to try and build a rapport with some of the players, especially if you're going to be working with them doing the podcasts and post-match and interviews before and after. So the media team have 
have that because they're based at the academy and stuff like that. And I'm kind of like a freelancer coming in doing this. It's hard. But what, what is nice is when players are out the team, they they watch the the, the the same stream as the fans and stuff like that, or they listen to the same podcasts. Because, I mean, life as a footballer, I think it could be pretty, like, pretty lonely, to be honest. You're not allowed to do anything. I mean, COVID, you, you can't do anything anyway. But, like, imagine, like, if you're just living here away from your family and your life just revolves around the football club and you probably don't want to delve in the realms of the fanzines because it could be quite detrimental to them. So they they totally involve themselves with the the content of the football club, um, and I mean you said that do we have we been able to build up any kind of rapport? Like, yes, in a kind of unofficial way, we kind of arrive and leave at the same time as the players, me and Danny. We park in the same car park, and Danny's obviously an ex-pro, so he's still got lots of pals in the dressing rooms and stuff like that. And uh, football's quite a small world, I think. Like they all they've, they've played with someone they know everywhere, so. And I'm always like with Danny and he'll like talk to Chris Maguire, who I think he played with at Rotherham and he'll often talk to, to him. Um, Grant, um, Grant Ledbetter's, like he grew up where I grew up like loads and loads of years ago. I remember like playing football against Grant and being like, whoa, he's amazing. And then like obviously went on to have an amazing career as a footballer. And he, it was uh, when he came back to the club, I just, uh, it, was, it was such a nice thing. And we've got similar backgrounds when we did the pod. Um, he was really passionate to talk about his mental health and stuff like that. And I felt really privileged to be able to try and share that story of of, of Grant's journey, if you like, over the last few years. So I think, like, you know, we built up a bit of rapport with him and he always says hello. All the players say hello and they're very aware of who me and Danny are because of our roles at the club. But, like, like you know, if we were to be around there tonight, my max power, you know, typical scouse lad, he'll just talk forever. Like, you know, he... he but he, he really, all the players there, they really, really care about the the, the cause, and they all like they all they all believe that they're privileged to play for Sunderland, and just want us to get out of this league. Like that's the, the main thing I've taken away from all, all the players. They're really dedicated, you know. It, all the staff are so dedicated to getting Sunderland out of the league, and the players who I have had the privilege to speak to, I just you know. Like those results recently, they'd be so gutted about those results and they want to put it right as soon as they can because that's what their lives revolve around, just getting success for Sunderland. So when I see people getting dug out, like players getting dug out constantly, yeah, you can have a twist about them, you know, by putting a pass the wrong way or whatever like that. But every single one of those players at Sunderland Football Club are, are committed to, to getting us out the the, the league, you know. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's nice to be able to, talk to Luke 09 in the car park and stuff like that about the game that's just happened because they're just going to go home and sit with their families now they can't talk to anyone else as well they're in a, a bubble like the club like yeah um, they can't talk to anyone they can't go anywhere really um so yeah I mean again a, a privilege to be in and just I can just guarantee that you know all, all of the ones we've spoke to they're all really, really good lads and they all want this, the best for the club Absolutely, I think that's what we all want to hear as well. Because you know, the, there is a lot of stuff that gets chucked about, and a lot of it, you know, it just doesn't stand. It do, it doesn't stand, and the players are human beings at the end of the day. I was saying, just want to put in there as well. Even the um, the uh, my dealings as well. Even even uh, Phil Parkinson was a, a total gentleman to be around as well. Obviously, it didn't go to, to plan what he had planned on the pitch, but uh, all my involvements and podcasts and. Uh, events I did with, with with Phil as well. He was totally professional and really nice, and 
and then someone like most Sunderland fans would be able to have a really good conversation about football with as well. Wonderful. Um, so just to kind of end end the uh, end the podcast, then I've done a little hashtag Ask Frankie on Twitter, um, <laughs> and we um, got um, some odd odd things through. I think as you may have expected, but the we'll, we'll uh, say some of the things that are actually askable. Um, so. Ian asks uh, if he could work with any musician, living or past. Who would it be? Um, work with any musician, living or past. Who would it be? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, like, my role, I guess, as a musician, is a singer, and like the other people I like would really want to work with, I just wouldn't compliment at all. So I guess, like. I'd spin the question a little bit and just um, say I would like to be a fly on the wall and just be friends with like some like big jazzers like Miles Davis or someone like that, you know, um, or like Pharaoh Saunders or some, someone like that and just like watch how they operate and just be around them. But I don't think I could critically bring anything to the table to, <laughs> to, to make the, the uh, collaboration worthwhile. <laughs> All right, then. fair enough. Uh, I think it's a bit of a cop out, but we'll uh, we'll let it slide. Um, this one's from uh, Prentice hashtag Ask Frankie. What does he think of Aidan O'Brien? Um, I think Aidan O'Brien's a really interesting character. We've had him lined up for the last couple of weeks to do a podcast with him, um, and he's got like a really interesting history because I've started doing my research on him before we we go in there. Um, and I think Aidan O'Brien this season, and we're just talking about football, I think he was integral to that good run we had. And I think he was integral to the success of Charlie White this season as well. I think he's a, he does a lot of stuff off the ball, which is um, kind of under the radar. I've never, I've, I haven't spoke to him. I've, ne- I've never been uh, in the same room as him. Um, but uh, as a footballer, I think I think he has, he has a kind of quite an underrated role. Um, which which ultimately leads to the, the the best moments we've had this season. I'm very much inclined to agree on that one as well because I think a lot of people um, he's he's one of the more divisive players I feel in in the team that some people can't quite see what he brings and others think he's integral to what we're doing. I'm of I'm of the latter. Um, and then so a couple more. Uh, this one's this one's quite entertaining. I've been laughing at it a few times. Hashtag ask Frankie, would you rather a robotic leg considerably longer than your other leg that is prone to malfunction, making you go round and round in a circle, or electromagnets for ears that pick up loose bits of metal and that when you're walking about? Um, I've been watching, this is the second time I've mentioned metal detectors in this podcast. I think because I've been watching detectorists on the night time, it's like, I don't know if you do the same, but I go through these like, box set binges when I watch like just as I'm going to sleep and the, the, the last couple of weeks I've been watching the detectorists on BBC iPlayer um, so with that in mind I'm going to go for the, um, the the magnetic ears the magnetic ears okay it's a f- wonderful choice uh, and then this one's from me hashtag ask Frankie will we get promoted um, you know I, I, I still think we've got the, the, the personnel and the ability to do so I think we need to start putting um, I think we need to start winning. I, I don't think we need to... I think even in the in previous games, I think the Blackpool game, I thought we pro- probably controlled that game to a certain extent. I don't think it was a bad performance. Obviously, we weren't putting 
chances away and we haven't had as many chances on goal as we've been used to. But you look at that performance, I think second half of Wigan, everyone would agree, wasn't good enough. I think the performance against Charlton, we could have been two up within the first 20 minutes. Two really good opportunities, which on another day both go in and it's a different game. So I think the I think it's coming. I think you know the wins are coming back. I don't think we've been I don't think we've been revolting by any stretch of the imagination in terms of football um, um, performances. So I just think we need to get a little bit of confidence back in ourselves, and we've seen what we can do with confidence. We can go on a run with confidence, and if we, it just takes you know. Well, Charlie did get a goal against against Wigan, but you know, if once he's back in the goals, once he's getting the service, as we know what can happen. Once Ed McGeady's shot that came off the post against. Blackpool, you know, if that goes in, it's a different game. You know, 30 seconds later, they don't go up and we make some defensive errors and that. It's just, we just got, we're just going through a bit of bad luck at the moment, I think, as well, and things aren't going for us. But I think, you know, once we get the wins back and, you know, I'd have to say it's looking more like playoffs than automatic. You know, I haven't conceded that we're not going to go automatically, but, you know, tonight's a, a huge game. What if we beat Hull tonight? I think is it Hull have to play at Doncaster twice? Um, one of the I think that I think that's correct. It's yeah. It's e- it's either Lincoln or Doncaster because I think I think Peterborough have to play Lincoln twice and Hull might have to play Doncaster like, twice or something like that. Stranger things have happened, right? And if we beat Hull this evening, or at least put in a really good performance, like it would give it would give me a lot more confidence going into whatever happens at the end of the season. We've been to Wembley before this season. And we've won at Wembley now. Um, I think there's definitely lots of players with points to prove who would really love to um, either, you know, there's going to be, there's probably going to be a lot of change no matter what happens at the end of the season. And I, I, I believe that all them players involved would love to have a final say and some success for Sunderland at the end of the season. And I'm sure that they're 100% focused on that, no matter how it is even if it's through Wembley, which would be absolutely agonising for us as fans, you know, to have to go through that again. But uh, I'm confident we've played all the teams at the top now and I haven't been impressed by any of them, to be honest. Maybe Peterborough, but again, they didn't look that much better than us, really. We beat them at home as well. Um, When we played Hull at home, I didn't see that much. Blackpool, informed team, we had to give them the goal, basically. So... No, I wouldn't be scared to play anyone, and I think the the fans and the players should remind themselves of how their success of the against those teams around us. Absolutely, well, I'm I, I really do hope that you're right as well. You know, I think that I needed that bit of optimism. I think as well because I've been feeling quite pessimistic ever since the uh, ever since the Wigan game. Uh, Frankie, thank you very much. Um, it's been a wonderful chat. It's wonderful to have you on. Uh, really appreciate it, mate. Um, yeah, uh, this is going to be the last podcast in this series. Um, so yeah please do share it like it all that good stuff I really appreciate all the support with the project uh, thank you thank you very much uh, thanks very much for watching on council and <laughs>